You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Lifelong Learning, featuring thought leaders in the field of continuing medical education. Lifelong Learning is presented in cooperation with the Alliance for Continuing Education in the Health Professions, the International Association of CME Professionals. Here's your host, Senior Vice President of Educational Strategy for Prova Education, Lawrence Sherman. Well, we're going to focus in on medical direction and continuing medical education today, and we have some really great guests. I'm Lawrence Sherman, your host, and with me today is Dr. Scott Hirschman, Medical Director of the Office of Continuing Medical Education at Health One CME, and Dr. William Mency, a Vice President of Education and Medical Affairs at MedIQ, a medical education provider. And we're here at the Alliance for Continuing Education for the Health Professions Annual Meeting. Uh, so, like I said, we're going to talk about medical direction and continuing medical education. And I think the practicing healthcare professionals, physicians, may not understand the amount of scrutiny and oversight that we provide when we look at, develop, and implement the content of some of the CME that they participate in. So the reason that you're here today is you're both trained as physicians and you're both continuing medical education professionals. So I'd like to start out by saying, what do you think that other practicing healthcare professionals would be interested to learn about your roles in the development and implementation of continuing medical education? William, why don't you jump in first? Thank you, Lawrence. I think that as practicing physicians uh, look closer at the continuing medical education environment, I think what they'll see is that more and more physicians are becoming involved in this arena because as we get more involved in the research of the true gaps in practice and where we can make a difference in the systems of care so that we can elevate the care of patients in our practice, I think once we have that data, we can look at content in a different way and we can start incorporating what's happening at the point of care into the education and making it much more meaningful instead of always having activities that are more focused on new science or um, what the latest data might be or a new indication for a product. So, so you look at um, relevance as much as science and application. That is correct. We're looking not only at the clinical science, but we're also looking at the education science and how do the two come together and merge into creating something that's meaningful for the practicing professional. Scott, what are your thoughts on that? Well, to build on, on what Dr. Mencia mentioned, I don't believe that the majority of practicing clinicians in the healthcare profession, realize that many of the indicators that we're using today to identify gaps and needs and content for the educational programs are directly derived from quality. So within our own hospital system, we were tied directly, I report directly to a VP of quality, thereby bringing together the needs of the system and sort of sharing that with the physicians, with the, with the physician committees, in order to identify topics and thereby formats to deliver those topics to the practicing clinicians. I do not think they realize that much goes on behind closed doors. Right. So, so let's think about that a little bit, William. I, I see you nodding in agreement to that. And I think it goes back to that term of relevance, right? So what two or three points do you think practicing physicians need to consider or, or understand going, go into the development of the education that they're participating in? I, I, you know, I wonder if they think something you said before, if it's just because there's some new science or new treatment, but it's so much more than that. And, I, and, and what can you tell them to, to help them understand? 
So I think that goes back to Dr. Hirschman's point about education being tied back into quality. And it's the quality metrics, it's those quality measures that are driving most of continuing medical education today and where it's heading. As we see different types of platforms like performance improvement and systems-based quality improvement initiatives, what we're developing is a series of education within a curriculum that is looking at where are the clinical barriers, where are the practice-based barriers, what can we provide these physicians that are going to make them more efficient in their job, provide them more time with their patients, make that time more effective, and then be able to demonstrate through that time how they're changing their practice so that there can be meaningful outcomes. Scott, let, let's follow up on that a little bit. So, so those are some interesting points that, that William just brought up. Uh, let, let's dig a little deeper. So, so you're within a system. So you have the ability to cultivate data that at the point of care, uh, what, what happens at the point of care, what decisions are made at the point of care. Let's flip that. What about the learners at the point of care? What can they do to be more actively involved in their education? What can they send to you or say to you or help you to understand about their needs so that the education becomes more relevant? It's a fantastic question, and it's one that has baffled us for some time. How do we get them more involved? How do we make them realize what they don't already know? Because they know everything. Um, the ability for us to call the data is dependent upon the systems of practice that we have in place. And those are limited. With the advent of EHR, um, with the advent of quality data and quality outcomes, we're able to move closer to that point. Um, we're able to do the most with our data when we're actually working within a performance improvement activity where we, we actually go back to the doc, we speak with them during and post-activity. Um, this is still very new. We had our first successful PI project this year. We had excellent outcomes, and it will serve as a model as we move from one facility to all eight of our facilities. Um, this, this wasn't utilized in the past. This is very new. As, as the physicians speak to each other and they share the success of this one program, we're hoping it catches on. But the ability to utilize the data that's available in EHR is going to make this possible. So you're talking about peer-to-peer -peer diffusion of understanding of the education and why they need to be more actively involved. I hadn't thought about it in those terms, but absolutely. So that was in a closed system environment. William, you operate primarily in a, a more open system environment. You know, uh, you're, you're working on a national level, so your providers could be coming from anywhere. Uh, what things do you think those participants in your activities should know and think about so that they can be more active participants in their education? That's also an excellent question, Lawrence. And when we develop continuing medical education activities for uh, physicians on a more national scale, obviously there are going to be regional differences. There are going to be uh, differences um, between even within a city. Um, so our approach to that is to directly go to the learners that are within the scope of the target audience for which we are developing the education. And as an organization, we have committed to doing in-practice research, which means we go to the point of care and we actually look at what the practice behaviors are. We speak to the office staff, we speak to the clinicians, uh, the various healthcare professionals. We look at uh, uh, chart 
data sources, and we identify where those gaps and barriers exist so that we can then develop meaningful education that's going to be relevant to everyone in that target audience. If you just tuned in, we're talking about medical direction and continuing medical education with Dr. William Mencia from MedIQ and Dr. Scott Hirschman from the Office of Continuing Medical Education at Health One CME. You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Lawrence Sherman, and we're here live at the Alliance for Continuing Education in the Health Professions. So let's follow up on some of those things that just came up. So we looked at a closed system. We looked at an open system. We looked at the learners. And, and I think one of the things that, that sort of comes through from both of you is we need to connect the point of care to the point of education, right? So, Scott, um, in, in your environment, and I, I guess you work in both closed and open environments, so, so you're sort of a hybrid, right? Um, how do you work to ensure that the education, going back to the word relevant, is relevant so that they connect questions that come up at the point of care to the education that they get to the change in outcomes, this is what has perplexed people in the CME universe for some time. We start with the end in mind. What are we looking to change? What are we looking to affect? And then it goes into the development process. So the activity is developed using data points that have been taken or derived from quality input, um, previous uh, evaluations, uh, committee and group discussions, whether within one department or within a structure uh, such as a medical executive committee at a, at, at a hospital. These points or these strategic domains, you know, they, they, line up not, they line up not only with CME, but what's best for the facility. And we take that and then begin to roll out an educational platform. How are we going to deliver it and what are we going to deliver to everybody? So, so that's a lot of big words, right? Going into the development. So I think that may be surprising to some healthcare professionals because, again, I, I think that the, the genesis of education is often believed to be a new tidbit of information. And so what we're talking about here, William, I guess is more about um, relevance to practice, application of, of change in care, and things like that. So, so let's think about um, connectivity. Right, And how can we be sure that a learner that comes up with that question at the point of care selects your activity? How, how do they find the right activities for them so that they connect their need to meeting that need? For physicians who are evaluating what type of educational program is relevant to them, I think that's where it comes down to the uh, activity information that is provided to them, either through the mail or email or fax. That information should contain a statement of need, and that statement of need will alert the target audience for the activity what is trying to be accomplished through that education. What is it that is relevant to those physicians, and what are they going to take home from it? And I think that's a good marker for someone who's evaluating this to say, I think this program can have an impact on my practice. There's also the learning objectives. Um, which, when written correctly, will tell the learner exactly what type of change that activity is going to encourage by the time that they have finished participating in the program. So, so Scott, that's assuming that um, we get to the learners and we reach the right learners. How about those learners that are looking for education? What advice would you give them to uh, use to find education that's of value to their needs? Once again, I go back to 
what, what is the goal? Keeping the end in mind. What do they want to change? Are they going to look at their own practice and say, do I want to change definitive clinical outcomes? Do I want to change my practice mentality? Do I want to change um, overall uh, practice methodologies? So where is the change they want to make? And then from there, do their research, their due diligence in finding an educational program. And it may not be a one-off, one-hour session. It may be more of a performance improvement uh, repetitive activity where they're engaged for weeks or months on end. Figure out what it is they want to change and work backwards from there. Okay, for the last couple of minutes that we have, let's go to an area that I know you both love, compliance. Uh, what, uh, William, words of reassurance can you provide to those practicing physicians and healthcare professionals about the role people like you and Scott play in the oversight of the development of the content to ensure that it's free from bias and conflict of interest? Medical education today has several sources. It can be self-funded by uh, healthcare systems, it can be self-funded by a hospital or by a specialty society. But a large percentage of continuing medical education is still funded through uh, industry. And for the reassurance of those practicing physicians and other healthcare professionals who want to participate in these programs, I think it's important for them to know that there are a strict series of guidelines that are put together by the accrediting body that certifies uh, the provider community, and that those guidelines strictly enforce what the relationship between industry and the medical education community can be. There is a letter of agreement that is signed between both types of organizations, and this letter of agreement is pretty stringent in terms of the hands-off approach that pharma will have toward uh, the money that they provide in grants. Plus, when we're developing the content, the content is, in large part, derived from the needs that we've identified. We, as medical directors, offer that direction to the internal content teams, and we work with our expert faculty to ensure that we are addressing those needs. And there are a series of independent reviewers who will come back and look at that content and make recommendations if they do identify that there is either a place where it can be reinforced or toned back. Scott, you're going to get the last word on this. So when you review content, do you review it as a learner would look at it as well as a regulator? I'm going to say yes. The reason for my pause is that I, I, wear, I wear a few different hats. And it is my job first and foremost to review the content to ensure that it is compliant, that it is free of bias. Uh, number two, it's also my responsibility to ensure that our education is of the highest quality, that it's in line with our, with our needs assessment and our learning objectives, and that it's going to have an impact. So my feedback is twofold. Um, we then bring in a clinical expert in whatever the topic is. I mean, my background's emergency medicine. I've got a broad base, but I can't tell you what's the latest in, in, in genetics or, um, or, or, or oncology. So we bring in our, our expert in that field to look at it from a, a clinical content standard. When I look at it, I look at it from both education and from the compliance aspect as per the ACCME guidelines. I want to thank both of you for uh, giving your honest answers and, and maybe helping to uh, 
educate and uh, reassure the, the listeners about the role of medical direction in the development of CME. Many thanks to my guests, Dr. Scott Hirschman from the Office of Continuing Medical Education of Health One CME, Dr. William Mencia from MedIQ. I'm your host, Lawrence Sherman, and join us next time. Be sure to visit our website at reachmd.com featuring podcasts of this and other series. And we've been here at the Alliance for Continuing Education in the Health Professions Annual Meeting. You've been listening to Lifelong Learning on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals, featuring thought leaders in the field of medical education. Lifelong Learning is presented in cooperation with the Alliance for Continuing Education in the Health Professions, the International Association of CME Professionals.